Hey, we're in a new series today called Forward, and I'm excited because um, 2013 was one of the best years in the history of our church, and I thought, boy, what can top that? But you know what? We're going to move forward. We're going to be doing things in 2014 that are so much more dynamic than 2013. Um, I'm so excited about being the pastor of Grace Chapel, being here with you this morning, having the opportunity to kind of jump forward into a new series where God can impact our lives and impact on our hearts in ways he never has before. So let's jump in. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 29, verses 13 through 16. It says this, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Therefore, once more I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? In Isaiah's day, people, the people of Israel were coming into the temple. They were packing out the temple in Jerusalem. And they were doing all the, the right things. They were entering the house of God, the house of worship, and they, they said the right things. They did the right things. They were, they were offering up their sacrifices, and they were singing the psalms, and they, were, they were, were praying, and they were listening to the word, and they were being blessed by the priest, and all the things that you did when you went into the temple to worship God. But something was missing, and that something was their heart. The heart of it all was missing. They were just going through the motions. They didn't really feel close to God. There was no intimacy there. They didn't really think about the words that they were singing or the words that they were speaking. Just, we know what to do. This is what's next. And then you sing this song and then you do this and then you do that. And they were going through the motions. There was no intensity. There was no closeness. There was no... Going to the temple for them was more of an obligation. Everybody else was going. That's the culture. They all go to the temple from this time to this time. So we're not going to be seen by everyone else not going into the temple. So we're going to go in. It's pretty much for them at this point an obligation. I'm sure if you spoke to the people of Israel at that time, they would probably say something like, what are you talking about? We're doing everything we are supposed to do. What more do you want? I showed up, didn't I? I knelt when I was supposed to kneel. I got blessed when I was supposed to. I brought my sacrifice. I sang. I, I, I read. I, whatever I was supposed to do. I, what, what more do you want from me? What else, what else am I supposed to do? I'm going through everything that God expects me to do. How many of us come to church every single week and do the same thing. We, you know, it's funny because we think sometimes, well, they had these rituals back then. And some of the more traditional churches around here, around the country, have traditions and rituals. And we don't have that here at Grace Chapel. Mm, kinda, right? Because we go, come in, we have announcements, and we have the, the song, introductory song, and 
Then we do the announcements and then we have a few more songs. And so you come and you sing. Some of you get here a little later than others, so you miss a couple of those things, but that's what happens. For those of you who don't get here that, 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 that uh, early, that's what happens. You're like, what? I never saw that because you're coming like 10 minutes late. See? <laughs> no guilt, though. Don't worry about it. I've given up on that. I really have, okay? So as long as you're here, I'm happy you're here. Um, but you come and sing, and then, then you listen to the word, and you bow your head, and you're real religious, but something something's missing. Some, and I would say that for all of us. I would mean, for me too. I mean, sometimes you, know, you come in and you're just kind of going through the motions. There is, every single person here would, who's been a Christian for long enough would probably say, there has been a point in my life where I was going to church and just going through the motions. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Something is missing. You see, God's not interested in your rituals. He is interested in you. He's interested in you. He wants you. He wants you and he wants, he wants us to give him our hearts. He wants us to, to draw near to him in, 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 in passionate faith. He wants that passionate faith. He wants that heart. He wants, he wants it to come from the inside out. He wants us to experience, truly experience his presence. When we walk through that door, we come into this place he wants us to experience his presence. He wants us to think about him. He wants us to fall more in love with him. He wants us to get to know him even better. You see, the bottom line is that worship, worship is about expressing, expressing our love and devotion to God. That's what it's all about. We come in here to express our love and devotion to God. When we come in on Sunday mornings, that's the only time we'll talk about it, that we should be worshiping God. But when we come here in the morning, it should be to devote our full attention and, our, and express our love for God. It is not about how I or leaders in the church can offer more entertainment for you in the hour that you are here. That's not what God is interested in. He's not about how much, if I were to do this, maybe do a little dance or sing a little song, or you'd be more entertained, maybe you'd be a little more. That's not what God is interested in. It's not about entertaining you on Sunday mornings. It's about us offering our hearts and our lives to our first love. Jesus Christ is our first love. All who were baptized this morning were acknowledging that Jesus Christ is my first love. And if, seriously, if we want those little ones to grow up, and become true, true dynamic followers of Jesus Christ, they need to see everyone else living that out in their lives as well. They need people they can look up to, not just parents and family members, but when they see others within the church, when they see other adults out in the community, they need to see people living their lives in a way that is it's just expressing a passion and devotion for their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So they can be encouraged, they can be strengthened, they can be uplifted. Worship is about, is about coming into the presence of God. And here at Grace Chapel, it is more important that we focus all of our attention on God rather than focusing on ourselves. How can I better enter? Think about that. You know, we don't want to admit it, we don't want to say it out loud, but we choose churches that way sometimes. Who, what's the most entertaining place? Who can enter, who can keep my attention the most? Who is, you know, what, who has the best light show? Who has the best this show? Who has the best that? 
That's not what God is looking for. God is looking for people with a heart to walk into that sanctuary, no matter where it is, the smallest church in our community, the largest church in our community. He wants the same thing, hearts devoted to him, hearts that are, that are giving themselves completely to him. Here at Grace Chapel, our desire is to engage our hearts in worship. I don't want you to be entertained. I want you to be moved by the Spirit of God. I want you to leave this place and my heart, my desire, the leadership of this church, their desire is that people would leave here here and say, "I, I met God here. I felt the Spirit of God here. I was moved by God in this place. At Grace Chapel, we worship God by giving him everything we are, everything that we do. Everything we are, everything that we do, everything that we have, we want to give it all to him. You see, the problem is that we have compartmentalized our lives. We've, we've broken things down. We've talked about this before. It is the whole, the whole idea of secular and sacred, right? Plato's idea of secular, sacred. Just so you know, that is not biblical at all. If you're new to Grace Chapel, I, I will hopefully ingrain that in your hearts this morning. That is not a biblical worldview, That is Plato's worldview that has been imposed on the church, and we allowed it to happen. We allowed it to happen. So when when you come into church or a Bible study or a prayer meeting or go on a retreat, then you're in the sacred world. You see, you're in the spiritual sacred world. But when you go to work or you have a hobby or you're playing your sport, then you're in the secular world. God has nothing to do with that. God only has to do with when we're bowing our heads or, or singing songs. Other than that, when we leave this, it, it's, it belongs to something else. And so we can't worship God in those places. Listen, everything we do, everything we experience can be an act of worship. Work can be worship if we are serving God rather than just serving man where we are at work. Work and worship are the same word in the Greek. Worship can at work. You can worship God at work. You can go to Procter & Gamble and you can worship God. You can go to your business and worship God. You, whatever you do, you can worship God. Worship can be on the field. If you are giving glory to God in your sport, if you're on the field or on the court, as long as you're giving glory to God, as long as you're giving that over to him, you're honoring him with how you live your life in that sport, you're worshiping God. You can worship God. It doesn't matter if it's art. It doesn't matter if it's writing. It doesn't matter what it is. You can worship God with whatever gift, talent, and ability he's given you as long as you're giving honor to God when you're doing it. God owns everything, everything. He created everything. Everything belongs to him. A biblical worldview says things are either sacred or they're sinful. Those are the two options. God owns everything. It's either sacred or it's sinful. If it's not sinful, by definition, it's what? So if you haven't been here before, every time I say that, you answer the question. If it's not sinful, it's? Exactly. So when you leave this place, when you leave the four walls of Grace Chapel, when you go out into your world, you continue to worship God. We're just coming together as a body together, a group of us coming together to worship God this morning. Individually, we leave here and worship God all throughout the week. 
This is a stopping place for us to come together and worship and praise him and tell him all the exciting things that we've been doing this week and share and encouraging each other and baptisms and all those kinds of things. When we leave here from the body of a bunch of us into our world, we then continue to worship God. Because if, it's not, if you're not doing something sinful, then you're what? Doing something? Exactly, which is worship. Why the heck should we give anything to the enemy? Why should we give any ground that doesn't belong to him? God created everything and said it was good. The fall came and sin entered the world. Unless I'm doing something sinful though, everything I do can be to the glory of God. I was joking last week and I said, I worship God when I eat black raspberry chip graters ice cream. If you've had none, and, you cannot ex- and you've never experienced it, and you say, well, you can't worship God by eating whole. I can. Especially if I'm watching football while I'm eating ice cream, you know what I mean? I'm like, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I can worship God watching a great athlete while I eat fantastic ice cream, and while I'm with my son running back and forth and throwing the ball, and he catches it. I am seriously worshiping God. He's given me all those great opportunities. I can say, wow, look at the gifts that he's given this person. It's amazing how people who are so amazing at art or or culinary things, they're just, you know, they can make some things that will just blow your mind. They worship God when they do those things. And if if you're cooking to the glory of God, then you're worshiping God. If you're running down the field to the glory of God, then you're worshiping God. If you're writing a book to the glory of God, then you're worshiping. And it doesn't have to be about, you know, Christian things. It could be a great book, a great thriller. You're worshiping God because you're using the gifts that he's given you. We need to understand that. That is what worship is, giving all of ourselves to him. It is all about what God can do in our lives in and through us. A biblical worldview is either sinful or sacred. A non-biblical worldview is secular sacred. It's not biblical. It's not, God does not agree with that whatsoever. When you confine worship to a Sunday morning experience, it often becomes a ritual or worse. It becomes rote. It becomes stale. It's this, I mean, how can God receive our worship if it's just rote and stale? There's, there's really nothing to it. Worship, my friends, is not just the 20 minutes that we sing before I get up here and talk. So many people have that in their minds. I worship, what a great worship. We did, and don't get me wrong. We worship God as we sang this morning. But that's only 20 minutes of worship. That's only one expression, if you will, of worship. And a good one, a really good one. But it's one expression of worship. But true worship is a lifestyle of bringing pleasure to God, whether it's by singing or praying or working or playing. You can play and worship God. You can go to work and worship God. That's what we're talking about here. See, if you limit worship to the place where, to to this building, when you leave this place of worship, then you leave the attitude of worship behind. Make sense? You come in here, I'm gonna come and worship God in this place. And if this place is the only place you worship God, when you leave this place of worship, you leave the attitude of worship behind. Can't be done. You are God's temple. 
You belong to him. When you leave this place, everywhere you, everywhere you go, everything you think, everything you say can all be an act of worship because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Worship cannot be confined, should not, cannot be confined. It needs to be expressed through every single area of our lives. How liberating is that? You think about it. How liberating is that to know that you can worship God in everything that you do? every skill that you have, it's just, it becomes overwhelming. See, if we pour our best, the best of our lives into worship, we will not become like the children of Israel who are just going through the motions. It's easy. It can happen anywhere. I'm so, I'm so thankful I'm a part of a healthy church where that's not a part of our existence. But if we're not careful, if we just kind of go along and plod through the motions, sooner or later, 20 years, 10 years, 50, it doesn't matter, down the road, it could turn into that kind of church. So we all, not just me, we all need to be aware of that, all speaking the same language, going in the same direction, worshiping with, with our passion, the same God. Otherwise, if you think, well, that, you know, that's great for the, all of you, but you know, I, personally, it doesn't matter. If, if I don't worship God the same way or if I don't give him all my, all my best and all my, God is still pleased. Let me, let me read you a story that I, that I, that I read um, recently. It's about a small village in Spain. Uh, let me read it. It says, the people of the village heard the king was planning to visit them. No king had ever done that. So naturally, they became excited and wanted to offer a great celebration that would honor the king. But what could such a poor village offer? Someone proposed that since so many of the villagers made their own wines, they could offer that to honor the king. And so they each decided to take some of their best wine and combine them as one great gift for the king. On the day of the king's arrival, they all came to the village square early in the morning with a large cup of their finest wine. They all carefully poured their offering into a small opening at the top of the large barrel. They were excited because the king would soon enjoy the best wine he had ever tasted. When he arrived, the king was escorted to the town square where he was presented with a silver cup and invited to draw wine from the barrel. He filled his cup, and when he drank the wine, to his great surprise, he tasted only water. What happened? It turned out that each villager had reasoned to themselves, I'll withhold my best wine and give only water. There will be so many other cups of excellent wine poured into the barrel, that mine will never be missed. And so after all was said and done, the king was in the presence of people who simply went through the motions, showing their love and devotion to God. Simply going through the motions when it comes to showing their love and devotion to God. They didn't really, they, were, they didn't give their best you see, in order for us to become a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, leashing purpose, we all need to be engaged. We all need to be involved. We need to offer up. Can you imagine most churches, 80%, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, okay? Most people are spectators. Can you imagine if we continue to move forward and the pace we're going and the kind of hearts that you guys have, if we all, that spreads like, a, like it just kind of goes through the church. Can you imagine almost all of the people giving their best to God, pouring out their best to God? Can you imagine the damage that we can do for the kingdom of God when we give our king our best? When we sacrifice and give him everything that we are, everything that we have? 
What the people of this village did was the same thing that the, the people of Israel in Isaiah's day were doing. And my friends, we can do it sometimes as well. And that's what we have to watch out for. We can get ourselves in a position where we're not giving him our best. Where we're just going through the motions. Where we're not offering up everything that we are, everything that we have. If we would all together have that kind of attitude, this world, our community, we, we could change our families, we can change our, our, we can change Mason, the surrounding community, we can change the world. It doesn't take thousands of people to change the world. It takes a remnant. It takes a group of people who truly believe and desire to worship the almighty God. That's what it takes. If each one of us had that attitude, it's like a fire spreading. It cannot be stopped. See, we can be guilty of simply going through the motions when it comes to worshiping God and not giving him our best. And that's why God said of the people of Israel, he said this, these people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So how can we avoid becoming, because we're not this kind of church, we're not. I'm not, that you should not be discouraged this morning. You you guys are incredible. I love you. We can always get better and we're gonna get better and better and better and stronger and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. But how can we avoid becoming like these, the the children of Israel in this text? Let me give you a few principles that'll help us as we move forward in our worship. First, we need to keep our worship, to keep our, our, our worship focused on God, we need to surrender. We need to surrender. That's hard for some people to think about, but that's what we need to do. There needs to be a heart of surrender. Romans chapter 12, verse one says it so well. It says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It says in the NIV, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is your true and proper worship. Think about that, offering up, you're alive, you're breathing, but you're offering up your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're surrendering your life to him. When you're baptized, when you ask Christ to come into your life, that's exactly what you're doing. You're offering up your body as a living sacrifice and saying, Lord, you made me, you have a purpose for me, you have created me in your image. Give me my marching orders. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? That's what surrendering means. It's offering up your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship, according to the Bible, is a surrender of your will to God's pleasure. I surrender my will to God's pleasure. God, do with me as you wish. I am yours. I belong to you. Beginning with Abel and Noah, God is looking for a heart of worship. He's looking for a group of people willing to give their best, not holding back, holding nothing back. That's what God has been looking for from the very, very beginning. People with a heart like Abraham, who was willing to offer up his son Isaac. People like like men like David, I mean like Daniel, willing willing to face death before they will worship another. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were gonna be thrown in the fiery furnace, what did they say? We don't care what you do to us. We offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, Lord, holy and pleasing to you. Do what you want, king, because we will not worship you. 
God is looking for a heart of surrender, a heart of sacrifice, people who will stand up, who will give of themselves. And the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus Christ giving himself on the cross. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what keeps us from this kind of worship? That's what we need to be asking. Because most of us are sitting here, if you're being honest, and saying, man, that's, I would, that's what I want. I want that kind of faith or I wouldn't be here. But um, it's some, there's some roadblock in my way. So what is it that keeps us from having that kind of passionate faith and living out that kind of worship? I believe that fear and pride are the two biggest barriers that block your ability to truly worship God, to sacrifice, to surrender in worship to God. First, Faith to trust God with your life. Faith to trust God with control of your life. Some of us don't like the idea of giving up control of anything. We had a conversation in my house about this, and each one of us were going around and saying, why is it that, why is it that we try to, you know, each one of us in different ways will not surrender certain areas of our life and control to God? And we were going through, for me it's this, for me it's this, for me it's this, and we were processing through that. Every single one of us in some areas of our lives will not give up control to God. It is fear that keeps us from saying to God, I give you control of my life. Do with me as you will. Fear is one. And the other one is pride. Pride to surrender your life to God's plan. I mean, maybe men are more this way than women, I'm not sure, but you know, hey, I made a plan when I was 22 that I was gonna be here at 40, that I was gonna be here and retire at 65 with this much, and I was gonna have that, and I was gonna, and what I've realized in my life, honestly, is that at 51 years old, the, more, the older I get, the more I realize that I am not in control of my, of my family life. I'm not in control of what happens a lot within the ch- around the church and what happens around the world, the things that we're involved in, that God is in control. Sure, I can, I, can, I can do the best I can to lay out a plan and follow that plan. That's all good, that's all good. But the reality has taught me, reality has taught me that ultimately God is in control and it's usually plan B and C. It's usually God's plan. And I need to submit myself to God's plan. But pride for many people won't allow you to do that. Pride will not allow you to give over your plans to God. What is God gonna do with my dreams? My And so we don't wanna give it up. Fear and pride are two of the biggest barriers to true worship, to allowing ourselves to be truly become worshipers of God. See, when you overcome these barriers and surrender your heart to God, sacrifice becomes a part of your life. When you're willing to do what I just described, sacrifice becomes a part of your life because you surrender. You say, Lord, I, I, I admit I don't have control. I admit I can't, I can't control what's gonna happen in my family. I don't, the illnesses and the, and the difficult, I can't control that. You know, you, we all, we're all on the same page here. When you have children and grandchildren, some of you have children, some of you have grandchildren, it is extremely difficult that you can't fix everything, isn't it? Because you want to. If you, if you had the ability, you would take on a lot of the, the struggles and the, and the difficulties and all that's happening in your family. You take on a lot of the struggles. You, give, you would give anything to, but you're not in control. And when you are not in control, you say, God, I surrender. I give that to you. I surrender myself to you. I surrender my family to you. I trust you. I trust you. 
I trust you with my, with my job. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my sports. I trust you with my hobbies. I trust you with my writing. I trust you with my art. I trust you with all that. Lord, I trust you with it all. You do with what you will, with what you've given me. I trust you with that. We need to surrender or those become barriers blocking us from a personal and stronger relationship with God. Second, if we continue to move forward in worship, we need to make sure that we are becoming a friend of God. We will move forward in worship by becoming a friend of God. I like that song, I am a friend of God. Someone told me, that's so shallow. Those older songs are so much deeper. You know what? They are deep. But you know what? I am a friend of God is biblically based. I need to be God's friend. In order to truly worship God, I need to be God's friend. James chapter two, verses 21 through 23 says this, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And listen to this, and he was called God's friend. Abraham's obedience made him a friend of God. He was a friend of God. You can choose the level of friendship and closeness that you have with God through your level of drawing near to him in worship. You want to you be, you want to have that, you want to be close to God, you want to feel that friendship with God, then you draw closer to him in worship. James chapter four and verse eight reminds us, come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jesus called his disciples friends in John chapter 15 and verse 14. He said, you're my friends. Why? Because I'm telling these guys walked around together. They did life together. They invested in each other. You think about this, you know, sometimes you think of Jesus as like, you know, the guy, he would be like walking, oh, Peter, stay five steps behind me. I am Lord God. Stay behind me, all of you. That's not what he did. I bet you they walked down the road kind of on shoulder to shoulder sometimes like the monkeys. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. You know what I'm saying? Having a good time. And you laugh, but you, here's the deal. If we can laugh about those things, you know Jesus Christ had a sense of humor. Tell me they weren't sitting around the fire telling jokes, right? Tell me they weren't like pull my finger once in a while. I'm telling you, they, it's, they, had, they had a friendship. They were a bunch of guys hanging out, building relationships with each other. I am a friend of God. Jesus calls me friend. We need to have that intimate relationship with him. A friend of God will be obedient. A friend of God will, will follow his will and his plan. A friend of God will be open and transparent and humble and honest with his needs and his struggles. That's the kind of relationship we have. How can you be close to someone? How can you have an intimate relationship with someone that you spend very little time with? If all we do is spend time with God, we're in this room, how on earth can we have a deep, intimate relationship with him? A friendship, a deep friendship with him. I love this verse in Exodus 33, 11. It says, it says, Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. You see, I believe we often fail to truly worship God because of what we said earlier. We compartmentalize our lives in such a way that we see worship as a small part of our lives. It's not, it is not all-encompassing. It is a small part of our lives. We come here, we listen to songs, and it's a small part. And so we, when we compartmentalize, that's what happens. We need to understand as a remnant, as a follower of Jesus Christ, our life is an act of worship. From the moment we get up in the morning, from the moment we lay our head in our pillow and, and go to sleep at night, and even when we dream, 
It should be an act of worship. We should live our lives completely and totally and utterly sold out to him, giving him everything that we have. Tommy Tenney writes this in God Chasers. I like this. Your problems aren't too big. Perhaps your worship is too small. You know, we think, think about that. Oh, my problems are so big. Maybe our problems are so big because our worship is so small. Because we don't have that, we're not talking to God about our needs. We're not talking to God about our failures. We're not talking to God with our struggles. True worship, my friends, comes from the heart, not from the lips. True worship starts from the inside out. Is an expression of everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we do. And this morning should just be, listen, this, this morning should just be a continuation of a pattern of worship in our lives. When you walk through that door this morning, it should have been a continuation of a lifestyle of worship in your life. When you leave this place today, you will continue to worship him. This is just a time we all get together and then we go out and we continue to worship God. It is a continued pattern of worship. This year, my desire is that every single one of us move forward in every area of our lives. I'm calling, we're going to call 2014 the year of living life on purpose giving him everything that we have. I, I, we want to, to help each person fulfill God's will and plan for their lives. That's our goal. How do we help you fulfill God's will and plan for your life? How do we truly become a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose? Here's how we're gonna help you do that. First, we're gonna help you connect to the body of Christ called Grace Chapel. It's not gonna be, when, when people say this to me, I kind of cringe a tiny bit when they say your church. It isn't my church, it's our church. You say my church, our church. I wanna see you connected to the body of Christ here at Grace Chapel. So we're gonna connect. Then we're gonna grow. We're gonna help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. We're gonna connect and we're gonna grow. We're gonna serve in different areas. We're gonna give you opportunities upon opportunity upon opportunity to serve so that in your service, you can change the world. So you can connect, you can grow, you can serve, and you can change the world. Those are four things I want you to memorize and understand. Connect, grow, serve, change the world. It is all though encompassed in this act of worship. This is where it's birthed. This is where it comes from, this act of worship. Because if none of those things will happen, none of what I just connect, grow, serve, change, it's not gonna happen. Being a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, unleashing purpose is not going to happen unless we start and end with true, authentic worship in every area of our lives. My friends, my family, if we can do that, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. There's nothing that we can't do. We will look back on 2014 and think, my gosh, in one year, I accomplished more in one year than I've accomplished spiritually my entire life. If we're in this together and we begin and end with true authentic worship, there is nothing that can stop us from changing the world in which we live. Let's pray. Father, we love you with all of our hearts. We lay aside our pride. We lay aside our fear. We lay aside those things, Lord, that, that affect us and that keep us from becoming true worshipers of yours. 
And so, Father, we give you praise and we give you glory this morning and ask that you would impress upon every single one of us individually what needs to happen in our lives in order for us to become truly a friend of God. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in advance for we know you're going to do individually and as a corporate body. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a fantastic week.